You're listening to Tech Nest, the PropTech Podcast. In each episode, you'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. Discover market opportunities, interesting data, growth tactics, and trends driving the industry forward. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. Hey, Tim. Welcome to the show. Hey, Nate. Thanks for having me. Good to see you again. Again, we were just in Scottsdale at the IMN SFR conference. It was a big crowd. It seemed like there was uh, everybody and anybody actually was really there. Just about. Just about. Yeah, it was, it was you know, everybody was there. Um, and I think uh, the event was like, you know, really well put on. And uh, it was nice to see both vendors and operators and investors all kind of coming together. Um, some some cool stuff on the uh, last night event. Did you, did you go out on the SFR uh, Strat event? To the which part? The Strata event on the uh, last night there. No, what was the Strata event? <laughs> I hadn't even heard the, of this. Uh, I was, well, I saw you at the uh, uh, Modern Ventures, and after there yes. was a, a party at the, at the bar that was from the Strata. But, uh, oh, no. Anyways, I don't know a, anything about that. Uh, unfortunately, um, I'm still in a training build, so uh, I have to cap my night's because I have early mornings to get things done before I can go to the conference hall. So it is what it is. Um, well, before we, we digress too far here, I want to introduce our guest, Tim Ray, co-founder, CEO of a company called Verifast. A uh, lot of things to discuss here. Uh, Verifast uh, has uh, a single source verification platform. They're working with companies, you know, multifamily operators, uh, tech platforms, to help verify individuals' identities and financial details. And we're going to get into a lot of this because there's um, this is actually a pretty hot topic right now in the news. Uh, just the other day, commercial or not commercial observer, BizNow published an article that the CEO of Camden had his his ID stolen by a renter who rented an apartment in Chicago, took out a credit card, maxed out the credit card and tanked his credit score. I was like, I read this. I was like, this has got to be made up. There's no way this is true. And not just tanked it, tanked it to 510. That takes effort. <laughs> like that. Yeah. That, I mean, that's like, you have to try, you have to try to get a score that low. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that takes um, effort. You know, it's funny. The, uh, you know, you've seen a lot of these articles throughout the last year, two years. It's really coming to the forefront. I think the combination of, you know, inflation and cost of living and, you know, interest rates really pushing up everyone's um, cost of housing um, and other, um, you know, core uh, items. And, you know, the, the traditional ratios of three to one are becoming less attainable. And therefore, you're getting a lot of like fraud for shelter. And, um, you know, it's just fraud is just really prevalent in the, in the, in the industry now. Um, so it's something that... Uh, Fortunately for us, everyone's really paying attention to. And if they don't, 
they're mm-hmm. really, uh, you know, reaping the consequences. Yeah. You, you mentioned the, the three to one ratio, maybe going by the wayside and, uh, this, uh, there's a bank break article that was saying, you know, 39% of Americans have a side hustle. Uh, and I can get too, too deep into this thing, but I mean, like side hustles can be anything like Uber or DoorDash, but also like if they moonlight out of work, right? Yeah. You get everything from, you know, babysitting and, and nannying to, uh, you know, cash jobs for, you know, uh, cash jobs on the side on the weekends to, you know, mm-hmm. freelance, uh, which can be through sources of like ATM deposits on a recurring basis or, you know, Venmo or Zelle to higher efficacy deposits. Like, you know, like you mentioned gig work, that's more identifiable like Uber and DoorDash. Um, and it's really, uh, I think there's also some other stats that saying the um, people that want to do secondary and tertiary income is even higher than that 39%. I think it's getting into like the mid fifties, almost 60% of people are looking at um, you know, part-time jobs or second jobs, um, side hustles. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, you know, part of it is, is, is a need, right? Uh, they just can't afford to just have one job anymore and expect to, to get by. Yeah, there's that. And then the challenge also becomes you can find it to be more difficult to move, right? So like, I think I actually think back to this a few times when, when my wife and I, we relocated to, to Nashville and it was for her to take a new job and I was working as a realtor. So my income wasn't all that verifiable, like as reliable and by <laughs> moving, I was losing it. So I was essentially moving unemployed and she was taking a new job. And I don't know how I convinced the landlord. Like I took a, a red eye flight overnight. We had two weeks to get a place nailed down and I just went on the ground and I got in front of the house, called him He's like, well, I'm showing it at one o'clock. I was like, well, what do I got to do to lock this place up now? I'll send you bank statements. I'll give you a deposit. And as an investor, actually, I generally like don't like pushy tenants like that because that's a red flag. Yeah. <laughs> and then somehow I convinced him, but even I think about it, it was even crazier because when we moved back to Washington from Nashville, I was running an agency and my wife was quitting her job. So she was coming unemployed and I had to do it again. The only way I actually found us a place was uh, it was a realtor that was renting it. And she remembered meeting me, showing me a few properties a year, you know, a few years prior. And I had like some references, like in the real estate industry, I was like, Hey, send this lady a text and tell her I'm good and verify like solid. But otherwise like without those like connections or like maybe some decent persuasion skills, I imagine it's pretty tough for people in those positions to have some fluidity as to where they can go. Well, I mean, you're probably like perfect case in point in terms of somebody that you know has multiple income sources, right? You uh, consult mm-hmm. or work with different startups. You're not necessarily getting a, a paycheck or a pay stub, right? You're invoicing them or you know other means, right, um, which are non-traditional. Mm-hmm. And you know, old school like leasing agent or property manager, you know, unless they're looking at the bank statement um, and those deposits. You know, they might not be able. They might not be feel comfortable approving them, right? So, um, you know, that, that's you know, case in point. That friction that you receive is times you know millions of people across uh, America, right? So let's talk about this single source verification. What that means, looks like, and why this kind of takes the screening process and 
not only makes it more secure, but also maybe offers more flexibility to renters who have non-traditional income. Yeah. So you just to, you know, to back up on like, you know, tenant screening historically has really just been, you know, even the digitized tenant screening that's, you know, as of like five years ago, it's digital application and, you know, a credit check and a background check, and then a document upload of various like statements of like pay subs and bank statements. Um, and that's it. And then you would have like a, an underwriter or a, you know, a, a leasing agent or property manager that will review the credit check and then they'll manually look at the pay stubs. Mm-hmm. Um, what's, what's funny is that, um, you know, we still have like the majority of properties that still don't have um, any sort of uh, document verification or open banking solution that are looking at, you know, just, you know, standalone PDF documents. And, you know, as you know, Adobe Editor, um, you know, dozens of products out there that are very easy to just alter, you know, a couple numbers to turn a three to a six. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, you know, your pay subs, your bank statements look great. And so you have, for, for Verifast, what's been great is that we work both directly with like medium to enterprise operators. Um, mm-hmm. But we also work with other uh, prop techs. And what's really important is that we're really filling the gap of all the other verification tools that are required to have, you know, high efficacy tenant screening in a very like seamless automated way, um, mm-hmm. which includes like the identity part of that, the identity verification, um, the income verification, mm-hmm. which is all income, not just employment income. Um, so generally using like bank data, other direct uh, connection to the bank account that allows us to pull the last 12 to 24 months of transaction data. And then as well as employment verification, if they have it, uh, which is, you know, direct connecting to the payroll software provider um, and or a pay step upload with, with fraud detection. Um, so we are the only solution uh, today that actually has all three verification technology verticals with both digital connect. So uh, we actually have, you know, four different banking aggregation partners that we use to dynamically switch um to use to connect to get the, a very high con- conversion rate, but then also mm-hmm. having the waterfall of a bank statement, uh, OCR and fraud detection, um, as well as pay stub. And uh, obviously you've heard of like Snapped and DocuVerus and two dots that do mm-hmm. pay stub, um, OCR and fraud detection. Uh, as you can imagine, a pay stub might have, um, what, what's happening in OCR is the AI is looking for numbers to recognize and draw cells around each one of those numbers. Mm-hmm. That, turn that into data. There might be, you know, 10 to 12 different fields that AI is looking for in a pay stub. Mm-hmm. Um, bank statements have like a hundred or more. When you look at all the dates, descriptions, columns uh, for deposits, balances, and the veracity checks is infinitely harder to OCR um, and do AI on a bank statement. And so we're, you know, the only ones that are doing that today, which is important because um, I think, you know, in five years, direct connect or direct source data is going to be, the default, everyone's going to be directing, uh, connecting directly. Um, this idea, I believe fundamentally this idea of like PDFs, um, is really just a bridge between today and tomorrow where, you know, there's, we've already socially normalized this idea of like sharing our data direct from source. Got it. Yeah. And, and so then, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly though, like OCR is good, but if if that's your only if that's your only backstop to catching or finding fraud, like there there still may be some some downfalls in that. Well, it was a huge amount. I mean, if you were to Google 
big pay stubs Reddit and various vendors that just do pay stub fraud detection. There's an entire sub uh, Reddit economy of people that are teaching others. You know, you know how, how this works. The fraudsters find a loophole yeah. and they advertise it and draw all the other people to you know exploit that loophole. And so there's a ton of uh, people now that are exploiting the pay stub uh, fraud detection loophole. Um, even for us, we don't recommend to do just pay stub detection. We actually recommend connecting to the bank account because at the end of the day, uh, you can't fake 12 months of bank transaction data. It's like proof of life, right? The rent payments, yeah, yeah, the yeah. utility payments, the, the skip the dishes or, or the, all the merchant activity that you'd have, you know, you can't fake that 12 months of, a, of, of an assumed identity. So, um, yeah, that's where, um, you know, pay subs on their own are, is not a very good solution. Um, and, you know, it's now being exploited um, fairly heavily. I forget who it was I saw on Twitter. Um, I think actually, let me see if I can see it here real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So Aman Jalali, I, I don't know if that's how you say his name. He's at Steel X. Uh, you know, he's he's an investor and in, uh, runs multifamily uh, all throughout Chicago. And I had to laugh at this one because uh, it, this was just yesterday. He had uh, experienced some tenant fraud. They sent screenshots of the cash app. <coughs> He had two different properties across town. Both yeah. get the exact same screenshot with the exact same balance. The only thing that was different was the name on on the <laughs> uh, on it. But the thing that cracked me up, and he also like joked about, is that the balance in the account was twenty nine dollars and eighteen cents. <laughs> so they tried to. They have. They've got. Uh, money in ninety ninety one hundred fifty seven dollars. Money out ninety one hundred. $36 and some fees. I'm like, so you just been moving money back and forth, trying to pretend like there's activity. And like you said, like, I mean, it's just like the cash app statement, which is not very detailed, like a bank statement might be, or like actual true bank activity with multiple, you know, creditors and, you yeah. know, maybe one or two debitors. And it's well, if, if interesting you to it, me to see how pervasive this really is. Yeah. And if you think about like logically, like, uh, if you're taking a data from a data source and you're downloading it into another format like a PDF and then sending it through an unsecured channel like email, um, you know the first thing that that person does when they receive the the PDF is they're just actually looking to verify the authenticity and the veracity of the document itself. They're not even looking at the you know the income, mm-hmm. right? So you're actually wasting energy and reps on uh, verifying the authenticity of the um, document versus the face value data to make a decision. And so therefore, you know, realistically, uh, anytime you can get the, the data directly from source, you're just going to be much faster and quicker and actually get more insights um, than you would just from uh, from a PDF. So how do you guys do that? Like you have your own way of connecting all the banks or you use like a Stripe or Plaid or what does that look like? And, and yeah, what does so it look we, like for the, the tenant too? I want to know what that experience looks like. So, um, you know, our, so we're our API first. Think of us as like almost like Plaid Plus. We're like, you know, uh, constantly we're, you know, we're going to clients with that have tried to use Plaid. Um, mm-hmm. Plaid's great. Uh, it's a great tool, but it's like getting direct access to the pipes of the data and expecting it to be trunky. It's like me saying I need to build a house. I know I need plumbing. So I'm going to go to the plumbing store and buy my, all my own parts versus hiring a plumber to, you know, assemble it for you, right? Sure, um, yeah. 
or, you know, by going to Ikea and like, you know, not knowing how to assemble stuff and then having to hire the other guy. So very fast is, you know, all those components of ID bank employment and all those things that we talked about, but it's actually like turnkey with all configurable workflows um, and how the, the, the client, our client, the, actually the property manager wants to view it in a, in a report from the applicant's point of view. Um, you know, there's two primary ways that we're doing it today. If it's a property manager that's, you know, using uh, one site or Yardi or one of the major, you know, PMSs, you know, mm-hmm. we have integration to their API that's waiting for, you know, the application to be completed. We get that signal and we send an SMS to the applicant to then guide them through this like ID increment and employment verification tool, then feeding the data back to, uh, you know, the PMS. Um, but it's, it's literally takes like three to four minutes for them to do. It's, you know, literally like biometric ID verification. They're going to scan their face, take a picture of the front and back of their ID. As, you know, probably most of your listeners know, the biometric ID verification on its own, the, you know, again, it's like pay stubs. The veracity of it is not good standalone. Uh, you can buy a really good synthetic IDs online that will fake um, an ID verification. We use multiple ID verification vendors underneath the hood uh, of our solution. So we can uh, switch okay. back and forth um, and beta test. Um, but then it's then the on the bank connection again we have four different banking aggregation partners that we use Plaid MX uh, and several others um, and so that way we can dynamically switch to um, based on the bank that they're looking for we can switch to the the connection partner that has the best connection rate for that partner and also have like a waterfall that if they can't connect with Plaid they can connect with like MX or Finicity and so on and so forth right. And if they can't do that, or they don't want to do that, they can upload a bank statement as like a, 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 a as a path of least resistance. So that way, we mm-hmm. truly have the highest conversion possible. Um, and then there's got to be a balance then, here, right? Like you obviously yeah. want to get as much that you can verify with as possible, but also adding too much friction or poor user experience can actually be to detriment to the the operator, or at least appears so that people are bouncing from the app. hundred percent. And the biggest thing that we've learned is, and we've become like extremely flexible. So everything we do is like various like templates and, you know, configurations, everything's done with the configuration because, you know, Mm -hmm. even the definition of income is not universal. Uh, You have talked to one property management company, maybe in Atlanta versus another one in uh, Boise, Idaho, you know, the types of deposits that they, uh, an income that they may or may not want to accept and take a risk on in the high high fraud market versus a low fraud market will be different. And so you need to be able to adapt. And so we have clients that want to allow bank statement upload um, and have us OCR that. And other, others that say, you know what, if they can't connect digitally, we don't need them, right? We don't want we don't want mm-hmm. to take the risk, even if we have the fraud detection software. Um, so that's been the, that's been the key, and you know, being able to like fit within whatever their existing tech stack is, not giving them ripping out their entire process that they're doing today, which is a much longer, you know, training process and sell. Uh, in, in integration and really just trying to be as flexible and as light as possible to meet the client where they're at and, you know, going like B1, B2, B3 in terms of how we, you know, integrate ourselves into their processes. All right. So here's the hypothetical objection. Tim, I've been doing this for 15 years. Our team has a scattered site. We've got multiple multifamily buildings and we've never needed ID verification. Sure. We probably have some tenant fraud, but it can't be that big a deal. Like, how do you, how are you guys responding to and look? I mean, real estate, especially multifamily, has been uh, consistent in like resisting anything all that new or revolutionary or pushing the envelope. It's a little bit slower in adoption. So when you get objections like that, 
how are you guys, you know, walking the prospect through to see that, no, there really is something to gain here. You know, Nate, honestly, in, in that scenario, I'm just like, we're, we're just like next, you know, it, 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 our ICP is it, our property managers that have experienced fraud or, or think fraud's a thing. If I have to convince you that fraud, like you may or may not have fraud, then you're, you know, you're not the right person for a solution and I love it. using, you know, Google sheets for, for your analysis. Right. Just let, let, let them, uh, move on and, and focus your energy towards partners at a better fit. Well, I, you know, one of the things that I know we had a chance to talk through though, is that, you know, for anyone that's particularly struggling with evictions, there seems to be a direct correlation between tenant fraud and evictions. Yeah, correct. You know, so observationally, um, there's not hard data because it's, it's cross, it's all private companies, but yeah, we're here from anywhere from 20 to 30% of applications that are fraudulent and you're wow. looking at like, not all fraud is created equal. Right. So, you have like very um, prolific, you know, ID fraud, like you're talking about with regards to the CEO of Camden, where they're actually like faking his identity and going, you know, getting, using his identity mm-hmm. to then do fake applications, which is like, that's like hardcore uh, fraud. Yeah. Then you have like soft fraud, which we talked about, which is like, it's my real ID. It's me. I'm just fudging through a PDF editor, you know, my pay stub to show that I made maybe a thousand dollars more a month than I actually do. Um, and because, you know, of these, you know, restrictions that we place regards of these like income to rent ratios. Right. I think the biggest thing that we've also learned too, is that we see like, you know, tens of thousands of, uh, you know, uh, applicants, bank transactions, uh, bank statements, you know, per month. And what you see is when you look at the core financial, uh, metrics, you know, there's a lot of people that have like maybe like a 2.8, 2.5, as low as 2.2, to one income to rent ratio that have mm-hmm. better underlying like financial health than the people that have like three, three and a half um, income to rent ratio. Because you look at things like their actual bank account balances, their days negative balance, their number of NSFs, their balance trend, their actual net cash flow. Right. Okay. Um, yep. It was funny. I was at meeting with one of the guys at um, SFR West yesterday and uh, guy in the industry, you know, Bay, 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 Bay area guy, his household income is $750,000 a year. And he's telling me that he doesn't think he can afford to buy a house because they like to go to Napa a lot. And they like, they, you know, they're, they're literally like living a really crazy lifestyle, but they don't put anything away. So you can imagine like that person. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> you can imagine that person like on a, a tenant application. That's amazing but they're really blowing their brains out on like whining and dining and tra- trips and travel. Right. Mm. Versus maybe uh, somebody that's, you know, maybe making a hundred K household income. Um, but I was actually able to put away a thousand or 2000 bucks a month into some sort of like investment account. Right. Did you, did you take the time to let that guy know that um, investing into cash producing assets can yield many more Napa visits uh, than just relying <laughs> on the W like, I, like, <laughs> I get that. I mean, that's just should be the obvious. I, I, but anyway, I, that's. I, I was like, I was literally like, you know, we were really talking about like, you know, trying to buy a like a one point seven million dollar house in, in in the valley, and and how we, you know, not being able to afford it, and and then I was digging deeper, and I was like, I was really scratching my head once I heard the household household income number, and I was like, it's like wow, something not but, adding up um, here. So, so I was like, I'm in that lifestyle. 
<laughs> There's something more to it. I want to shift a little bit here to um, adoption. Uh, we do, I mean, I alluded to it, right? I mean, there's a little bit of friction, but you guys have uh, obviously seen the light. Multifamily demands, like if you're going to add a new tool or system or platform, it's got to integrate and work with other you know, both legacy, but other startups. And you guys have gone the integration route. Can you talk a little bit about, bit about like how you prioritize that and some of the uh, integrations you've been able to successfully get, uh, you know, off the ground and running? Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, we want to power this solution. And I think the thing is that we have a, I feel like we have like a really cool mission in the purpose plus profit in terms of what we're doing as a, as a company, right? We, we're really helping change the game and how, you know, overall, uh, people and businesses, you know, share data and build trust instantly to then do business with each other. It's really exciting to be at this like, you know, cost of like entire like shift thing the di- dynamic between, you know, this underwriting mm-hmm. or screening process, right? With this kind of like, dating process, right? Um, so we have gone the route of like embedding our solution. So working directly with the PMSs um, to be a white label embedded solution. Uh, MRI mm-hmm. software is like our largest uh, client, we did a press release in September uh, for RHR, their tenant screening product, and soon to be um, Checkpoint ID, where they're coming out with a pre-qual income verification solution. Verifast is uh, is what's white label underneath the hood, uh, powering that for for them. And we're excited to have you know such a, a reputable company, um, you know, using our solution, being only three years old. Um, we're you know we're running fast to mm-hmm. um, you know Apple, Cena, uh, uh, Shaku, who's uh, actually the original. Uh, co-founder of Propuware, uh, sold that to RealPage, and now you know started Apple, and they're um, crushing it and again. We're their identity, income, and employment verification provider under the hood, and there's you know quite a few others. To now, you've seen because a lot of the really large you know SFR REITs um, have been using you know systems like Yardi, which are not necessarily purpose built for such a large the dynamics of mm-hmm. such large you know purpose built like um, SFRs that they're building their own custom tech stack like pure property management has built their own custom PMS uh, yeah. mind doing something very similar. Right. So again, and Tricon residential as well. So Tricon residential is a client of ours. So it's pure property management. And so they're both using our API to power, you know, this portion of their tenant screening solution. Yeah. Very cool. And let me ask you this. I mean, cause you're a multi you've, you've, you've started several other companies uh, so you've been down the path as founder and CEO and having to really take it from zero to one previously, as you mentioned, like you guys are moving pretty quickly here at Verifast. Has that your prior experience, has that been, you know, key or do you think like significant towards like what you've been able to accomplish so far at Verifast? And can you maybe go into you know, some of the lessons you've been applying from previous uh, ventures that yeah. have really aided in the success so far yeah you know so I, i've i've kind of hopped to a few different industries um in my entrepreneurial career i, I say i kind of joke around with my other entrepreneur friends i'm like uh highly unemployable so therefore i'm either going to be a very successful entrepreneur and ceo or i'm going to be that guy yep under the park bench thing what happened to that guy <laughs> right so i kind of give myself that i actually give myself that dynamic of like making myself truly believe that I have to be successful, uh, or, or else. Right. And, mm. um, my two, first two startups were in e-commerce. Um, my first one was in the, the group buying space. If anyone remembers Groupon or knows Groupon, and I first started mm-hmm. there and I had a quick exit and then I was in the subscription, um, e-com- subscription box e-commerce space and I had a, 
a company there called Carnival Club that I ran for six years and we're in four countries and sold that. So I didn't have like a, a lot of direct, uh, you know, knowledge in those that would apply to project in terms of like, you know, institutional knowledge. But I think through osmosis, you just kind of like know the things that you need to do in terms of like product and operations and scale of growth mm -hmm. and fundraising. Mm -hmm. That's, there's a lot of like transferable skills. Um, and that you just know intuitively. I think I would probably be a fairly poor teacher to somebody else in terms of being able to like step-by-step -step teach them like what to do. Because for me, I think a lot of people in entrepreneurs, a lot of this, you, it's like critical thinking. You just kind of like figure it out. You don't really take a course on how to be an entrepreneur and start a company. You just like, oh, I need like to like, obviously you need this. So then you figure out how to do it. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I think the thing that I love about, most about what we're doing with Verifast is, um, you know, the scope and scale of the problem that we're solving. This whole idea of, you know, verifying people's identity, income, and employment from, uh, we're in multiple verticals. So from tenant screening, uh, we're also in mortgage underwriting, uh, getting into auto lending as well. And the universal problem, how do we share data and build trust, whether it's business, peer to, uh, consumer to business mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. peer to peer, right? Think with the case, like say Nate, you and I both want to co-invest on a property, right? And we both need $100,000 down to invest in that. Today, how would I ever prove or vice versa that we each have our $100,000? It'd probably be a screenshot of our bank account balance, right? But uh, potentially yeah, I could probably. have like, borrowed my hundred grand. Probably could, I would have, you know, I could have borrowed my hundred grand from my mom and uh, that balance would be different uh, tomorrow when I give it back to her, right? So um, I think this whole idea of like, um, you know, trust and transparency is such a, it's, it's a really cool mission that I'm really happy to like, to seek my mm -hmm, teeth into, you mm -hmm. If you have a deal, uh, that you would like me to go in on. I'm interested. <laughs> I'm always looking for a deal. <laughs> it's been uh, tough yeah, these man. last few years. Yeah. Uh, well, well I, I appreciate that. I, I mean, that I mean, I think that's, you know, I think it's super valuable for others to hear, um, you know, that, you know, that obviously you can kind of take those experiences, but there's also, I think there's some, some wisdom in there and that, you know, those who have, already gone before you probably worthwhile reaching out to talking to and like getting some of that knowledge, paying attention to what they're doing. Cause then you don't have to learn all the, the same mistakes as those before you. And I think in prop tech, that's especially true. I, you know, I, when talking to different founders, I, I and I ask them like, Hey, what are some of the common objections or how are you getting market adoption mm -hmm. or what's, what's been most you know, difficult. I hear the same things over and over. It's, you know, for some, it's been difficult to get to integrations for some, they just can't figure out who, how to reach their target market, you know, or that the, the buyer is not the user. And so figuring out the sales process for that. And I think this is where like, Hey, look, there is prop tech is, is so, you know, the application into real estate, <coughs> such large markets think, um, that there's not just one winner. Yeah. There's many winners possible. Yeah, it's not to your point. It's not a winner take all, right? We're not out to like necessarily kill all our competition, and I, and I don't think vice versa either, right? It's a, it's a big pool, yeah, and uh, lots of opportunity to go around. Um, but you know, I, th I think more than most, this real estate. I'm excited to actually be in real estate right now. I, I like you know, I, and I want to stay in it. You know, I think there's a lot of this, um, you know, the the camaraderie and the relationships and the networking in this state and how mm -hmm. such a small community um, helps you then go faster on, on future companies and, and future um, products. Right. Totally. Um, and so, you know, I think business and, and life, it, I think it's a team sport, right? So 
it's a team sport between you know me helping you and you helping me and uh, uh, different prop techs referring other operators to each other and other operators referring good experience with other prop techs to each other. And, you know, it's a circular economy of sharing like experiences and knowledge, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Tim, we're going to transition here and jump down to the bottom of the show. My favorite segment I like to call for the future for the future is when I get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions on the following four questions. Are you ready to play? Oh, I was not prepared, but yes, let's do it. (laughs) Here we go. Question number one, what does Verifast look like one year from now? Oh, uh, Verifast one year from now is going to be um, 1 million a month in revenue. And uh, we are going to be the go-to household name for uh, verification in the industry, I think. Exciting. Question number two. Maybe this was touched on earlier. Maybe not. Will the credit check ever become irrelevant or no longer standard practice in rental applications? Sorry, so again. Question number two. Will the credit check ever become irrelevant or no longer standard practice in rental applications? I, I, I think it's 100% yes. I don't know what that time frame looks like, but we're already starting to see the credit checks follow to favor for a variety of reasons with regards to biases that are inherent to a person's recency to their citizenship in the U S to their age and and demographic, depending on the financial literacy of their parents. Um, So yeah, I think credit checks are going to follow to favor. Um, It might be a 10 year journey, but I think a little by little Mm -hmm. uh, cash flow underwriting. Um, I think credit checks will also have, will always have a role in it, but it will never, Today, it's the default. It's like the first line of defense. And I think credit checks will always be here, but I think they're going to be more of a supplemental uh, tool in the future versus the first, the you know, the hammer that people use. All right. Number three here on For the Future, what's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? I have to take a pass on that one. <laughs> I can't think of one. Not one. I mean, we can say things. Look, you're not going to offend anyone unless you, they hear you say it. <laughs> but yeah. um, actually, I, I'm going to come I'll back. Say this. I'll say, unless you have one, I'll, 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 otherwise I'll come back to it. We got I'll say this. Um, <clears throat> okay, so I, I, I see a couple of the uh, prop techs in the industry that have done a really good job of like, uh, I would say peacocking with like their... Um, their wardrobe and how they wear like very like bright colors. And I see more and more of these startups uh, doing it, um, whether they're all, you know, orange or pink or purple or blue. Um, and I find like it's really getting trend. And eventually our like conferences are going to look like uh, a tie dye uh, tie dye shirt. Uh, so I, I wish people would go back to, you know, business casual and not necessarily the, uh, you know, the, uh, really loud um, garments. I, I'm not going to say which startup it is, but in my, my previous experiences, I was asked. There's a, there's a bunch. No, oh, I, I, I'm very familiar with who has style trends, but I was previously in, in one of my previous startups. I was asked to develop a shtick for us at events like this. Um, and I just want to go on record saying that I'm happy for everyone on their choices and how they'd like to do it. 
But as for me and my startups or where I work, I will not be doing uh, any sort <laughs> of uh, <laughs> signature suits. Uh, my, my advantage, and I think is easy, is like I just grow a really long beard and in a crowd of suits and blue blazers and clean shaven faces, I'm already, I'm already brandable. You're winning. You're winning. Very yeah. easy to find me. Yeah, yeah, that's easy. All right, last one here on For the Future. What's one thing you be- that? Excuse me. What's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? Oh, I think right away. I think the idea of, of uh, document processing PDFs um, is going to fade mm-hmm. away. I think I would be extremely surprised and shocked if um, you know by twenty thirty, you know, the end of this decade. That uh, you know, it's it's funny. This analogy, the fact that we actually uh, uh, allow people to provide proof of their financial status based on editable documents, digital documents that are easily editable, is like when we used to be able to like watch Netflix and drive down the road, and that was like totally legal and cool. Um, Not a great idea in either case. Tim, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing more about Verifast, some of the challenges in verifying identity and financials in multifamily, but also where things need to move. Before we close out, for those who want to get in touch with you and or learn more about Verifast, where do they go? How do they do that? Uh, My email directly is uh, tim.ray at verifast.com. Can reach out uh, on email. Happy to chat. Um, thanks again, Nate, for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, happy to have you on the show. It was great to see you this week. I'm sure I'll see you around soon enough. Until then, we'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to TechNest, the PropTech podcast. Find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode on technest.io. You can get future episodes delivered to your ears directly by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other major podcast apps. Follow TechNest on social media to stay up to speed on new developments, resources, and announcements in PropTech. Your support is greatly appreciated. There's two ways you can directly support this podcast. Share episodes you find interesting and then leave a review of the show in the App Store. From Nate and the TechNest team, thanks for listening.